Reading from uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he had no way to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the slave fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that slave had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other slaves saw that what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow slave as I have mercy on you? And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured and he, until he could pay everything that was owed. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Dave. We're talking this morning about the topic of forgiveness. We talked about jealousy last week. This morning we're talking about forgiveness uh, and I'm talking not so much about God's forgiveness towards us, although we will touch on that. I want to talk about the way that we forgive each other. I want to talk about the way that we forgive those who have hurt us and wounded us and harmed us. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. What he's saying is saying, if you know the forgiveness of God, that must flow to forgiving other people. It's really what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, uh, be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another, forgiving each other, just as God forgave you in Christ. But look what C.S. Lewis also said. He said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And now do you see the tension? It's easy to talk about forgiveness. It's very hard to actually forgive. We know that we should forgive. It's very hard to forgive. Uh, we know that forgiveness is vital. But it's really, really hard when you're the one who's been hurt and wounded. We know forgiveness is essential for God's church, but it's really difficult. There'll be people here this morning who have been wounded and hurt really deeply, and you're finding it very hard to forgive. I hope you know the problems with lack of forgiveness when you're not able to forgive. It leads to bitterness, it leads to anger, it leads to holding of grudges, 
it leads to retaliation. And I hope you know the, the freedom that comes when you actually do forgive. It's liberating, it's healing, it's wholesome, but it's very hard to do, isn't it? Now, we, we prayed the Lord's Prayer together. Know that line of the Lord's Prayer? Forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Isn't that a hard line to say? It's a really hard line to say. We forgive all kinds of things, the hurts, the slander, the gossip, the injustice. The Bible says, Colossians chapter 3, forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. Now, I hope I'm not the only one here this morning who finds it really hard to forgive. Why do you find it so hard to forgive the person who's hurt you so badly? I'm guessing it's because the world that we live in, the society that we live in, teaches a different lesson. They, they teach that uh, retaliation is okay. Revenge is right. Uh, I read a book called Toxic Parent. The chapter there on parenting, it said, you don't need to forgive. Learn the new cry, I am the victim, it's not my fault, and my parents did this to me. That's the kind of society that we live in. It's okay to withhold forgiveness. And I'm guessing we find it hard to forgive because of our own feelings. Now, you'll be here this morning with your hurts, I'm here with my hurts, uh, through our church, through your family, through your friendships, and those wounds have hurt you deeply. And it's even harder to forgive when the person who has offended you keeps on offending you. And that's where Matthew chapter 18 is so confronting and so challenging. Just turn back to Matthew chapter 18. The context here is a brother or sister in Christ who has sinned against you. They've hurted you, they've wounded you, they've done the wrong thing. And if they won't repent, if they don't say sorry, it is quite straightforward. Verse 17, if he pays no attention to them, tell the church. And if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever. And I think that's the, almost the easy bit. We secretly hope that people won't say sorry because it's just much easier. We feel justified. We feel as though we're in the right. But what happens when they do say sorry, when they, they say they've done the wrong thing? So I've hurt you. I've offended you. I come to you. I ask for your forgiveness. You offer your forgiveness. I, I try and change my ways and I hurt you again. And I come to you again and say sorry and you forgive me and I hurt you again. I hurt you again. I hurt you again. I hurt you again. That's what Peter's asking in verse 21. Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Once, twice, three times? Maybe seven times. That would be generous forgiveness, wouldn't it? What does Jesus say in verse 22? I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter... Please don't think that seven is just a number. Seven is, is like the completion, it's infinity, it's the ongoing forgiveness. You forgive again and again and again and again and you keep on forgiving the person who's done the wrong against you. Does anyone here know where that phrase 70 times seven comes in the Bible? It's back in Genesis. Uh, when Cain murdered his brother Abel, 
And there's a guy later called Lamech who is seeking retaliation and revenge. And it says in Genesis, if Cain is avenged seven times over, for Lamech it will be 70 times seven. That's the way that revenge works, isn't it? If you do evil, I'll do more evil to you. If you hurt me, I'll break your leg. If you slander me, I'll drop a bomb on you. You That's what retaliation says. That's the world that we live in. Get even. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, if you follow me, if if you're a Christian here this morning, your world is not one of retaliation, it's one of forgiveness. Your world is not one of revenge, it's one of extraordinary, inexhaustible, ongoing forgiveness. You forgive again and again and again and again and again. It's that crazy power of the gospel, isn't it? When people walk into a church, they they should not see revenge, but they should see forgiveness. They should not see disunity, they should see unity. And then Jesus tells an extraordinary parable. It's really a play of two halves. The first half I've called extravagant forgiveness. Verse 23, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wants to settle accounts with his slaves. So you've got a king on his throne, he summons his slaves, and there's one who owes him, verse 24, 10,000 talents. So let's call him Tom. Tom's there before the king, and he owes him 10,000 talents. And just so you get this, 10,000 talents is more, is more than the money in circulation at that time in history. So this man could never repay his debt. The debt this man owes is enormous, it is huge, it is massive debt, astronomical debt. And you can imagine Tom getting out his wallet and saying, I'll pay you weekly, I'll pay you monthly, and, and the king laughs. You can't pay the debt. So what does the man do in verse 26? He does what we all need to do. He fell on his face and he begged. Be patient with me and I will pay you everything. And that's the end of the first half of the play. The, the curtain's about to come down, but before the act ends... You get this massive shock in verse 27. The king has compassion. The king released him and the king forgave his debt. Isn't that extraordinary? The king says, don't worry about your debt. You can't pay it. I forgive you. And you imagine Tom walking out saying, my debt is paid. It's paid in full. Now let me ask you, when you see Tom again in the next half, in in the second half of the play, How do you expect Tom to behave? He's just been forgiven this enormous debt, a debt that he could never pay. You expect him to walk back on stage, kind of like singing, my debt is paid, it is paid in full. And everyone he meets, he says, wow, my king is amazing. He walks out of the palace, he meets another slave, let's call him Ben. And what happens, verse 28? Ben owes Tom a hundred denarii. That's not a trivial debt. That's about a third of a year's wages. But, but Tom has just been forgiven an astronomical debt. Look what Tom does in verse 28. He grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. And at this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him, please be patient with me and I will pay you back. Now, where have you heard those words before? 
the exact same words that Tom said to the king, Ben is now saying to Tom. And you want Tom to say, hey, oh, that's right, I've been forgiven this astronomical debt, and so of course I can forgive you a tiny debt. But he doesn't. Look what happens. Verse 30. But he was not willing to forgive. He was not willing to cancel the debt. And when the others saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed, and they reported it back to the king, and the king says... Then in verse 32, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? Verse 35, so my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive as God has forgiven you. There's two verses that come at the end of the Lord's Prayer which we often neglect. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 says, If you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Jesus is saying, if you hold fast to an unforgiving spirit... The question is, do you really understand the magnitude that God has forgiven you? It's an outrageous parable, outrageous behavior. The man who's been forgiven this massive debt still refused to forgive other people. And can I look at you and say, forgiveness in your life is not an optional extra. To be a Christian means that you forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. What is forgiveness? Here's a good definition. Forgiveness is verbally declared and a personally given promise that affirms that though I have been offended, there is no anger, there is no hatred, there is no bitterness, there's no desire for revenge or retaliation, and that verbal declaration is matched in action. Let me say what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not approving of the sin. They've done the wrong thing. You can't just sweep that under the carpet. Forgiveness is not the absence of hurt. It's right that you're hurt. Forgiveness is not the absence of consequences. There's always consequences for wrongdoing. Remember when, when King David sinned. So David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered Uriah, and he came to God and, and begged for forgiveness, and God forgave his sin, but there were consequences. That's true in life. Of course you forgive one another, but there are consequences. And forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. You know, how can you stand and eyeball somebody who has been abused, who have been molested, who have been slandered and gossiped and say, just forget about it? They may not be able to forget, but they can forgive. So what is forgiveness? John Piper says this, it's on the screen. It's resisting all thoughts of revenge. Leave that to God. It's not returning evil for evil. It's wishing them well. Now bless those who curse you. 
It's grieving at their calamities. It's praying for them and for their welfare. It's seeking reconciliation as far as it depends on you and coming to their aid in distress. That is forgiveness. No revenge, no retaliation. Wish them well, pray for them, and seek reconciliation. And forgiveness is radical, and lack of forgiveness leads to ruin. You know, you know when you get a, a, a couple and one person has done the wrong thing, it's not that wrong thing that often leads to the breakdown. It's the refusal to forgive that leads to the breakdown. And my big question this morning is, how do you do that? How do you have the ability and the power to forgive the person who has wounded and hurt you so badly? I can't just stand here and say, you must forgive. Because you'll say, I know I must, but I can't. I just can't do it. How do you do it? And I know it sounds naive, and I know it sounds predictable, but it's true. The answer is the gospel. We forgive because God first forgave us. We forgive because we're empowered by the Spirit of God who forgave us, and we seek to act like Christ, and Christ forgave us, and so we forgive others. I've summed it as this, knowing the extravagant forgiveness of God flows to extending forgiveness to others. When you know the extravagant forgiveness from God, it flows to forgiving other people. And the more you know how much you're forgiven, the more you're able to forgive others. See, if you're to forgive this morning, the first step is for the Spirit of God to work in you and to me and convict us that however much we've been offended, however much we're the victim Before a holy God, we're also the offender, aren't we? Get that right. Get rid of the victim mentality and see ourselves in relationship to a holy God as offenders before him because no one can offend you or offend me as much as we have offended our holy God. And I reckon that's the problem, that we lose sight of the 10,000 talents we've been forgiven because we're so fixated on the 100 denarii. See, when you bring God into the picture, when you realize that he made you, he loved you, he gave you birth, he gave you breath, he gives you a heartbeat, he gives you water and clothes and food and shelter, and he calls you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and you say, I can't do that, I don't do that. And the debt is astronomical. We're guilty before a holy God. And yet God looks at us and says, I forgive you and I love you. That's the character of God. He is a character of forgiveness. Exodus 34 says this, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, rich in faithful love and truth, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion and sin. Psalm 32 verse 1, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins are covered. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, Come, Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be whiter than snow. Isaiah 55, verse 7, Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he freely forgives. That is your God. That's my God. He's a compassionate, gracious, merciful God who freely forgives you. It's costly forgiveness. Read your Bibles. If you'd lived in the Old Testament, you would be offering daily sacrifices 
sin offerings, burnt offerings, guilt offerings. You grab an animal, you slaughter the animal, you, you shed the blood because blood must be shed for forgiveness to be won. And every day your sin will be before you as you grab the animal and made the sacrifice. That's right, I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. And of course all that is pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world as he walks to Calvary, your sin on his shoulder as his blood is shed Forgiveness is poured upon you. It's costly. But it's total forgiveness. When you sit at the foot of the cross, his blood cleanses you. When you sit at the foot of the cross, God takes your sins and as far as the east is from the west, he's removed your sins from you. God takes your sins and, and chucks them to the bottom of the ocean. They're gone. And you stand at the foot of the cross fully forgiven and totally forgiven and that's the most glorious news in the whole world because your debt is astronomical and you could not pay it. That's the power of the cross, isn't it? And I hope you're here this morning and I hope you've actually been in act one of the play. I hope you've knelt before your king and your maker and begged for forgiveness. And I hope you've experienced that relief that relief and that joy when you hear the words, your sins are fully forgiven. I hope you're there like the, the prodigal son who has run back to the Father and found the heavenly Father, found his God with his arms open for you and said, here's the robe, here's the sandal, let's celebrate, you've returned home. I hope you've experienced that. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never knelt before your king, before your maker, before your God, and asked for forgiveness. If you do that, friends, instead of punishment, he will pardon you. And instead of lashing you, he will love you. And when you've done that, you've experienced an extravagant forgiveness. So however big the debt that your brother or sister owes you. And I don't say this lightly. However deep the wounds they've inflicted on you, the debt that we have been forgiven by God is so, 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 so many times greater. And that grace and that forgiveness must flow to other people. If it doesn't, it becomes this stagnant pond in your life. So knowing the extravagant forgiveness of God flows to extending forgiveness to others. Ephesians 4 verse 32, forgive one another just as in Christ God has forgiven you. Matthew 6 verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Luke 17 verse 3, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. We must forgive. I love this quote from, from uh, Corrie Ten Boom. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Now let me put that quote into context. Do you know Corrie Ten Boom's story? Prison of war in a concentration camp, concentration camp in Ravensbrück. Watched her sister die in that concentration camp. Let me read from her book. It's a long quote, but stick with me. It's profound. It was in church in Munich I saw him. 
the balding, heavyset man in the grey overcoat. It was 1947, I'd just preached a message about God's forgiveness. It was the truth they needed to hear most in that bitter, bombed-out land. I said, when we, we confess our sins, God casts them to the deepest oceans. They're gone forever, and God forgives us totally. And then I saw him working his way forward against others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap. And it came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. And now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fowlin. How good it is to know that our sins are forgiven. And I, who spoke so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocket. I could not take that hand. I remembered him in a leather crop swinging from his belt. It was face to fa- I was face to face with one of my captors. You mentioned Ravenbrook, he said. I was a guard there. But since that time, I've become a Christian. I know God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did. But I'd like to hear it from your lips as well. Will you forgive me, he said. And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven. And I could not forgive. I could not forgive him. Betsy had died in that place. How could I possibly erase such a slow, terrible death by asking for forgiveness? It couldn't have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But it seemed to me like hours. I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you don't forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father forgive you. And I knew it only, not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the war ended, those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple as that. And still I stood there, with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act of the will that can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. And so I prayed, help. Help me, Lord. I can lift my hand. I can do this. And so woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then his healing warmth flooded my whole being. And I cried, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hand. The former guard, the former prisoner, and I had never known God's love so intensely. What, what helps us to do that? And the answer is the power of the gospel. Knowing that whoever's offended you has offended God more. And if God has forgiven them, who are we to withhold forgiveness? Do we think we're bigger than God? I'm not naive. There'll be people here this morning who are deeply hurting, who are deeply wounded. Can I urge you to pray and ask God to give you that heart of forgiveness? 
What if they keep hurting me, you say? What if they keep on doing it? What's the answer? 70 times 7. We keep on forgiving. Why? Because God does that with us, doesn't he? Am I the only person who goes back to God almost every day with the same confession? And he keeps on forgiving. What if they haven't repented? Well, forgiveness looks a bit different, but we still forgive. Luke 17 says, that if they repent, you forgive. If they don't, you still forgive, but you just maybe don't trust them. John Piper says this, we're not bound to trust an enemy, but we are bound to forgive them. So get rid of the bitterness, lay down your hurts, hang, hand over that anger to, to God. Entrust himself to him who judges justly. What happens if you don't forgive? This is such an important question. What happens if you do not forgive? And the answer is bitterness, anger, an irritable soul, pride kicks in, you hold on to grudges, you slander people, you keep a record of wrong, and you view everyone through that lens, they've wronged me, they've wronged me. Lack of forgiveness is like picking at an open wound. It never heals. just gets it more and more infected. And lack of forgiveness will impact your relationship with the Lord Jesus. You'll lack joy in your walk. You'll become dry and frustrated and isolated and lonely. So please forgive. I want to finish this morning by offering you just three tips on how to do it. You know the theory. They're all sort of examples based on God's forgiveness towards us. How does God forgive his, us, our sin? Remember how it says he, he takes your sins and he drops it to the bottom of the ocean? If you're here this morning and you've got a, a wrong that you need to forgive... Maybe you go home this afternoon and you, you, you grab, a, a, grab a pebble or grab a rock and grab a marker pen, a permanent marker pen, and write on that rock the wrong that's been done. Write the words, I forgive you, and grab that rock and just chuck it into the ocean and just let it go. Maybe you want to go home and you want to write a letter Write down the, the thing that's been done against you, the wrong that's been done, the harm that's been done. Write it all down, and with a big red pen, write forgiven, debt cancelled, and then rip it up, tear it up, set it on fire, and get rid of it. Or maybe you go to the $2 shop, and you buy a cheap $2 clay vase. And you write all over that vase, the things done against you, the wrongs done, the harm done, and you write the name of the person, you write forgiven. And you get a hammer and you smash it into pieces so you cannot put it back together again. That's how God treats our sins. That's how God forgives us. And we're to do likewise. And trust me, when you do that, it is liberating. I never thought I would quote... Joyce Meyer and Charles Spurgeon in the same sermon, but I'm about to do that. Joyce Meyer says this, Who are you helping most when you forgive the person who hurt you? Actually, you're helping yourself more than the other person. 
I always looked at forgiving people who hurt me as being really, really hard. I thought it seemed so unfair for them to receive forgiveness when I was hurting. I got pain, they got freedom. And now I realize that I'm helping myself when I choose to forgive. Spurgeon says the same things. To be forgiven, to be forgiven by God is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison. Yet there is one thing sweeter still, and that is to forgive another. If you're here this morning, as I'm sure you are, needing to forgive somebody, can I urge you, experience the extravagance of forgiveness of God. Look again at the cross, think about what you have been forgiven, and then forgive other people. Because to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. Let me pray. Father, we want to be known as people who eagerly and graciously, mercifully and compassionately forgive other people. That is our desire. We want to be as merciful and gracious as you are to us. We want to obey the commands not only on the surface, on the behavioral level, but underneath in our attitudes and our hearts. May our lives, our marriages, our families, our church be a place where forgiveness flows. And we enjoy the freedom and the power that forgiveness brings. In Jesus' name. I'm going to invite Dave back up. Dave's going to read from Psalm 51, which is the psalm that David wrote when he asked the Lord for forgiveness for adultery and for murder and for many other sins. Maybe just listen. Listen as his words are read and make it your own prayer for forgiveness, and then we're going to respond in song. Psalm 51 on page 514 of the Church Bible. Reading from verse 1. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have cr you've crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God Create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. 
the God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. <laughs> 